1: And these guys, within 30 minutes, managed to pull off one of the greatest heists in the history of America.
0: Welcome to our special 20th episode edition of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails, what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the Dunbar Armored Heist. Shortly after midnight on September 13, 1997, six men showed up at the heavily guarded Dunbar Armored facility in downtown Los Angeles. Equipped with shotguns and wearing ski masks and radio headsets, they entered the depot, which had multiple layers of security. These men, swiftly and covertly bypassed the first set of surveillance cameras, as they clasped their bodies against the wall, gliding past the optics of the first unit. Once they gained access of the inside of the facility, they now had to contend with several cameras set up to cover the entire perimeter of the location. So the crew timed the precise intervals between each video sweep and waited for the exact time to slide between the angles of coverage. One by one, shooting through the hallway with methodical military precision. They ambushed the first two guards they encountered and tied them down with duct tape before stripping their keys to access the next area. There, they arrived at the command post and took down two more guards telling them not to move or risk getting their heads blown off. The guards stayed still and subdued under the watchful eye of one of the robbers while the others made their way through the 18-inch steel vault door. And what did they see on the other side? Money, stacks upon stacks of bills. Millions of dollars just sitting there ready for the taking. The men walked straight towards the area with the highest concentration of bills and began stashing the cash in the U-Haul truck that would serve as the getaway vehicle. There was just one more thing left to do. Get rid of the surveillance footage. They went to the back, located the videos, ripped out the VCRs and took the tapes, one by the main office and the other one hidden in the back in a locked office closet. Once that was done, The crew drove off with a half ton of cash in their getaway car, just like they had rehearsed. In less than 30 minutes, these men walked away with $18.9 million. Welcome to the story of the Dunbar armored heist from the warehouse in 1997 to the big house in 2001. I've been wanting to cover this heist for the longest time. In fact, even before I launched The Great Fail, I knew I wanted to do a special bonus episode on the Dunbar heist. I think there's a general fascination with heist jobs and bank robberies because it's just so exciting to hear about and watch. Just look at how Hollywood has made millions of dollars glamorizing these highly adrenalized adventures where the outlaws with loose morals are able to mastermind and pull off the perfect job outwitting the most trained officials and who doesn't love a good story of some unscrupulous underdogs getting up to no good. Look at Reservoir Dogs, The Score, Set It Off, and my personal favorite, The Italian Job. Oh and don't forget Ocean's Eleven and all the sequels behind it. But unlike those Hollywood movies, the Dunbar Heist actually happened and the masterful execution of this heist is going to blow your mind. I was so excited to connect with the director of the documentary series Masterminds, Tim Wolokuchuk, who covered the Dunbar heist in 2003. Here he shares what initially sparked his interest in this project.
1: Well, during the course of creating Masterminds, I was looking at various stories that would of course fit the bill of, of a fabulous heist. And during the course of research, we had a team of researchers looking at various stories and Dunbar was very much at the top of the list. It had all the ingredients, the Dunbar heist, to be really a compelling story that was unrivaled. We have these guys who somehow, through this meticulous planning, were able to pull off what was seemingly at the time the perfect
0: crime. So what does a perfect crime have to do with the business focus of this show? Well, both require copious amounts of planning and strategy, laser focus, precision execution, the ability to pivot and adapt under extreme pressures, and constant leadership and management. And in the Dunbar heist, all of these elements were critical to pulling off the cleanest job anyone could have hoped for in the biggest cash heist in American history. Back in 1997, 26-year-old Alan Pace III of Long Beach, California was working as a regional safety inspector at Dunbar Armored. For those of you who've seen the trucks everywhere but don't know exactly what it is that they do, Dunbar is a huge security and cash management company that provides airtight security for companies that generate tons of cash from their businesses, and they need to get their money safely to their bank sometimes even banks hire companies like Dunbar to carry money when they don't want the risk of keeping it themselves. So the vaults would oftentimes store millions, if not tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And so Pace's job was to do safety inspections to ensure that the security within the facilities were invincible and impenetrable. His colleagues at Dunbar described him as an amicable, fun, lighthearted guy notorious for being a jokester. In fact, he was always pulling pranks and everyone enjoyed it even when they wound up as the butt of a joke. I guess it brought levity to a very stiff and serious working environment. For instance, one of the gags involved him unscrewing taillights of Dunbar employees and reporting the drivers for safety violations. Classic screwball stuff. A prankster, yes, but a mastermind criminal? Highly unlikely.
1: The ringleader was a guy by the name of Alan Pace. And Alan Pace was a guy who worked for Dunbar, and he was a regional security guy. And so, if you're thinking, how do we rob an armored cart depot? This guy had the perfect cover because, A, he worked for the place, and like any typical inside job, he was able to gather information over a period of time that allowed his accomplices, who were all childhood friends. And when I say childhood friends, these are gentlemen that knew each other for many, many years. They grew up together. They trusted each other implicitly. And Pace essentially recruited his childhood friends so they knew that, you know, nobody was going to rat each other out, or so we thought. So getting back to his job, Pace was able to walk around and essentially case the place. He was able to pull out a camera and start taking photographs of not only the exterior of the facility, but also the inside of the place, essentially casing the place. If, if somebody was trying to pull off the perfect ice, he might say, we got to get in there and get eyes on it. Well, you can't just walk into an armored car depot, but Pace, given his job, It wasn't out of place for him to pull out a camera and say, this is part of my job. I'm assessing the security of the place and be able to snap away at pictures. Not only did he take pictures of the layout of the place and where the security cameras were, he actually took photos of actual employees so that when his cohorts broke into the place, they would actually know what the employees look like in addition to walking around the place and getting familiar with the layout based on the photographs that he was able to procure.
0: Because of Pace's position, he had access to security information that no one else had. And for years, he plotted. And when the plan seemed to be more actionable, he recruited five of his closest friends, 25-year-old Eric Damon Boyd, 26-year-old Freddie Lynn McQuarrie Jr., 34-year-old Terry Wayne Brown Sr., 23-year-old Thomas Lee Johnson, and 30-year-old Eugene Lamar Hill. These were his boys, guys he had known forever and the ones that he could trust. Most of them were moonlighting as bouncers at nightclubs around LA just to get by, so they understood the basics of security. But even more importantly, none of them had criminal backgrounds, which was something that Pace orchestrated. He formulated a plan that would set them up for life using the intel that he had from his job. Polaroid photos, a diagram of the depot, pictures of the hallways both outside the facility and inside. And for weeks, they did repeated drive-bys to case the joint, exit routes, and nearest freeways for the best getaway rounds. They also made a pact that if they were to go down, they would take the fall for one another and never rat each other out. Everything was going well until an unexpected development threatened to wreck the plan that they had been plotting for The day before the planned robbery, a manager at Dunbar called Pace. They were firing him because of his signature pranks, and he would need to return his keys the very next day. Pace needed to pivot his plan. He called an emergency meeting with his boys and said, it is happening tonight. That night, the friends set up a big house party in Long Beach to establish their alibis, And as dawn broke night, one by one, each surreptitiously trickled out of the party, changing into their black attire and ski mask. And that's when they showed up in a rented U-Haul truck that Eugene Lamar Hill had rented.
1: So it's September 13th, 1997. It's in a sort of a factory district of Los Angeles. And I remember when we were filming and going to the exact place, just how seemingly desolate, it was. It wasn't a place that had, you know, a lot of traffic. It was very quiet, somewhat removed. I think it had close access to the highway in terms of getaway. And so these five guys that he recruited, they pulled up. They were armed with shotguns. They had handguns as well. They were dressed in black, ski masks. They had headsets on so that they could communicate with each other. And it was, uh, it was very much something out of a Hollywood movie in the sense that they didn't use their names, of course. They were given code names which were actually numbers. And so they referred to each other as, you know, number two or number three instead of using their actual names. And the heist itself, they were able to use Alan Pace's key to actually enter into the facility. And then from there, they had a a myriad of challenges. There was surveillance cameras that actually were panning back and forth. But Helen Pace was wise enough and smart enough to figure out the intervals and the timing of how these cameras would pan. And it produced very small windows of opportunity to somebody, if they were hugging a certain side of the wall, to be able to sneak past the cameras without anybody who's monitoring them, see them enter into the building.
0: Because Pace studied the facility for almost a year and a half, he knew the place like the back of his hand and timed the cameras for his crew. And
1: that's what they did. They used these intervals of the cameras panning and they were they managed to enter into the building, sneak past the cameras without being seen. And then they waited within a lunchroom because they knew that people would be coming in for their lunch breaks. And they basically waited and ambushed them as these employees came in and they tied them up. Then they had to move into the vault.
0: So how does one get into an 18-inch vault that was just like Fort Knox? Easy. You walk right in.
1: And the vault had an 18-inch thick door, seemingly impregnable. However, Pace knew that the vault door would be opened. It was a Friday night, about 12.30 in the morning, and the door to the vault was left open because there's a heavy amount of shopping that takes place over the course of the weekend. A lot of cash is being uh, spent on the weekends. And so the vault door was open to move this cash. And again, Alan Pace knew this. He had scoped it out and he knew what he was doing and funneled all this information to his childhood cohorts. And they managed to steal $18.9 million. It was half a ton of cash. They're waiting U-Haul truck. And Pace knew exactly what bags of money within that vault once they took down the armed guards, which bags had the largest amount of currency and bills that were non-sequential, that would make it very difficult to trace and these guys within 30 minutes managed to pull off one of the greatest heists in the history of america
0: this perfect crime committed and executed with pristine precision took the crew less than half an hour afterwards the men headed back to one of their apartments changed back into their clothes and returned to the party The Dunbar heist was one of the biggest robberies in American history. Within 30 minutes, six men made out with $18.9 million. For years, a task force comprised of FBI agents and detectives were stumped and had no other clue than a yellow plastic taillight that belonged to a U-Haul truck. But none of the Dunbar employees were linked to any U-Haul rentals, so they were stuck with a massive chunk of missing money and absolutely no leads. Although authorities surmised that it must have been an inside job, there was nothing they could find that linked the heist back to anyone internal.
1: The police, in terms of their investigation, knew that this was very well-planned. And if not very well-planned, it was perhaps better executed even than the planning. And it went off without a hitch. Nobody was harmed. They got all the money that they were looking for. And there was no fingerprints left behind. The security recorders, tapes were running within areas of the facility that nobody would know if you broke into the place where they were. I recall when I interviewed one of the detectives, he said, it would have taken us an hour to find out where these recorders were. They were under lock and key in a nondescript room somewhere in the facility. And yet these robbers knew where these recorders were. They went in, they stole the recorders, they stole the tapes. And there was no way for the authorities to, you know, really have any intelligence or evidence to go on. No fingerprints, no tapes, no nothing. The investigation came very quickly to a grinding halt.
0: The case turned cold and the heat began to fizzle out.
1: This investigation into the Dunbar robbery was exhaustive. And it involved not only the FBI, there was, of course, the Los Angeles Police Department, And there was also people from the IRS who were part of it. It's one thing to be able to pull off this heist that was conducted with military precision and get away with $18.9 million, which in today's currency would be the equivalent of about $30 million. And to get that out of the building, once you pull off that heist, you would think you're on Easy Street. But now the situation becomes, what do you do once you've stolen that money? How do you... Spend it, or do you spend it?
0: You would think that after the heist, everything would be easy peasy. But they were faced with yet another problem. How to spend the money. Pace first gave everyone $100,000 and instructed his buddies to lay low while they stashed the cash in a storage facility. It wasn't easy since everyone was already fantasizing about how they would be blowing their share of the $18.9 million pie. And that's when things got interesting. As the crime was beginning to look unsolvable, the crew decided they would have to launder the money by buying real estate, but not having anything traced back to their names. And they did so by enlisting an immigration attorney and paying him and his office manager a million dollars each to buy property and cars and invest in companies. In return, Pace and his crew were getting wages like they were working at a real job. There were a few close calls here and there, like one time when Pace realized he had made a large transaction with sequentially numbered bills and out of panic decided to burn the money, but couldn't get rid of it quick enough. So a few of them headed to Vegas, baby, because there is nowhere else you could lose a ton of money faster in just one night. Other than that, Pace, the man with the master plan, hatched yet another scheme to help out his buddies. He would set up a party planning company called Extreme Entertainment, which would serve as a front for selling party equipment, including jet skis and limos. And as a result, the company would start paying the guys huge salaries. But one of them was about to make a fatal mistake that would drag the whole team down. One of Pace's
1: buddies who participated in the robbery was a guy by the name of Eugene Lamar Hill. And what Eugene did was he was buying some property and he was buying in cash, so he put a down payment on the property and he very foolishly used rods of bills that still had the actual rubber bands wrapped around these stacks of cash.
0: While buying the building for extreme entertainment, Eugene Hill actually gave the realtor $100,000 in cash to buy the property, but with the original currency straps on it, igniting immediate suspicion. The realtor went straight to the authorities with this and the surveillance began. The police originally couldn't find a link to the U-Haul associated with Alan Pace, but looking through the records now, what name did pop up? That's right, Eugene Hill. The cops got their break and he was arrested, but then the final twist of the knife came. That pack they all made to keep their lips sealed tight? Well, that went out the door. Hill took the deal that the FBI offered him and named every one of his accomplices. Pace, however, never cracked under pressure. He also maintained his innocence and said that he was being framed for messing around with the wife of one of the accomplices, even as each and every one of the guys broke down.
1: One of the most amazing components of this story is how they stole the money and got away with it. So we thought, stealing the money turned out to be the easy part. Spending it, however, would be another matter altogether. And in the end, that's what led to their collective downfall. Alan Payas to this day, claims that he is innocent. The authorities managed to track down roughly $7 million of how it was spent and found that money. We're able to account for it. To this day, there's still $10 million out there that is unaccounted for.
0: In 2001, they were all indicted, except for Hill, who took a plea deal. Pace received 24 years in federal prison, while Boyd, Brown, McQuarrie, and Johnson received sentences between seven and a half to 11 years. This job, so elaborate, so well thought out, and brilliantly executed, was ultimately undone by the error of one. I
1: think deep down sometimes we all root for the underdog who pulls off this incredible heist nobody's hurt and they get away with it there's something mythological about that almost a hollywood film but in the end these guys were serious robbers they had shotguns they had handguns and they ended up getting caught but it was not in the act it was trying to spend the money so i guess if there's one lesson it's Don't be a dummy in terms of how you spend your money once you steal it.
0: Perhaps it had to do with ego, overconfidence, or lack of confidence for the investigators. But this misstep led to the ending of a brilliant story. But a Hollywood ending, it was not. Or was it?
1: The story is brilliant. It almost reads like a Hollywood screenplay. You know, here's these guys that pull off what you think is the most amazing heist only to have the house of cards collapse on them and you know all of them end up in jail during time and they almost got away with it you know you just think if they were if that one guy was a little smarter about how he spent his money they would have all been free and clear and to this day you know sitting on millions and millions of dollars
0: don't do the crime if you can't do the time but if you do don't forget to take the bill strap off the money you just stole from the bank. Special thanks to award-winning producer and director Tim Walkchuk for contributing to this episode and sharing the research from his film series Masterminds, The Dunbar Heist, for this week's episode. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember folks, with great failure comes great liability. I must confess I did what I did now my life mess Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,